So this is where this fella had the sighting in July of 2011. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was actually the 12th of July, uh, at about 2.30 in the afternoon. The guy works for the, the, the uh, city of Whitehorse. He used to do maintenance at Shipyard Park, actually. That's how I got to know him. So anyway, he was coming down here, going downtown to go uh, shopping. So as he came around the bend right about here, then he saw something in the ditch right here, something black and tall, so he slowed right down. Then he noticed it was a Sasquatch. He figured Sasquatch was about two meters and a bit more tall, uh, dark hair, well-groomed, he said. And as well, uh, he noticed that he had a face, he described his nose was flat like a boxer. That's Red Grossinger. I met him a short drive from downtown Whitehorse on a residential access road in the Crestview neighborhood. This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. Okay, just showed up to uh, Azur Road in Crestview, a 15-minute drive from downtown Whitehorse, and I'm uh, going to meet up with the Sasquatch Hunter. In fact, I see his truck parked uh, in front of me. It must be him. Silver Ford truck, Sasquatch sticker on the back. And, um, yeah, we're both early, five minutes early, which never happens in the Yukon. Hi, Red, I'm Karen. Hey, I'm Red. Please meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Standing near a small pump house, Red points to a ditch where he says a sighting occurred in 2011. It's only a stone's throw from the Alaska Highway, but out of sight of passing vehicles because of a rise in between. Back to Red's story. And, uh, and the Sasquatch was walking in that direction, was walking slowly, and he noticed something that's hand were forming a fist. But sideways, see, human beings, usually we have our hands uh, this way. Right, like, th- like thumbs up. Yeah, but this guy had his hands that way. Arms internally rotated with the back of the hands pointing forward. So he followed him from here to the second lamppost. This one here being the first, the other one. And he, the Sasquatch didn't even look at him at all. And he was right on this on the on this on the roadway. Sasquatch was right here. Didn't even turn his head. Didn't bother at all. So the interesting part as well, he said besides being well groomed, he said he was walking as if he had something in mind. And he mentioned the word a man on a mission. You know, he had a purpose for some reason. So as he got about Oh, 20 meters from that lamppost, he noticed he was starting to change. Um, he became uh, translucent. The same if you were looking to something, to a dirty window. And then a couple more steps and he became uh, slightly more transparent. 
Finally, as soon as he reached Lampos, he became totally invisible. Prior to that, the witness said he could see the outline and see right through it. And then all of a sudden, was gone. Totally gone. So he didn't know what happened. Didn't go in the bush. He stopped and looked. <laughs> uh, what happened? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Red has been collecting Sasquatch stories from Northerners for 25 years. In our last episode, I spoke to Wayne Potteroka, who wrote about Sasquatch for the August issue of Yukon North of Ordinary magazine. After hearing Wayne speak about Red, I knew I had to hear from the Sasquatch hunter himself. Wayne and I have been calling you the territory's number one Sasquatch hunter, but what, what do you call yourself? An enthusiast. Sasquatch enthusiast. Correction. Enthusiast. My purpose today is to see the landscape through Red's eyes, to find out what he believes about the hirsute hominoid, that means the hairy being, and what keeps him motivated to study this elusive and potentially fictional creature. So today, Red is bringing me to two Sasquatch sighting locations within Whitehorse city limits. Going back to his story, I ask if he's heard of other times when Sasquatch became translucent. Have you heard other stories of Sasquatch becoming translucent and disappearing? Quite a few, actually. Quite a few. There's what? one from Duncan Creek, actually, where this fellow has seen a male and a female Sasquatch, a pregnant female Sasquatch, both walking away from him and becoming invisible. <laughs> There's another one from Moose Creek. Uh, just past the intersection of uh, the Stewart Highway leading to Mayo. Well, Moose Creek's a bit further, about 12 kilometers, I believe, or 10 kilometers. And right beside it, a lady from uh, Dawson City, from the Trondregochen, actually noticed Sasquatch in the ditch, stood up and backed down. Then she said, that all I could see was raven flying out of there. And nothing else. Couldn't see the Sasquatch anymore. There's quite a few stories like that. And, you know, it blows my mind because I've tried to study that, do some research, and nobody knows the reason why. Many of the First Nations in uh, Northwest Territories have reported similar similar stuff, actually, in my book. Red has a book coming out this fall. It's called Nagane, Tales of Northern Sasquatch. The introduction to the book is written by uh, a fellow by, uh, by the name of Raymond Yakaleya. He's a writer from Northwest Territories. It's from uh, Tulita, which used to be Fort Norman. Anyway, he said he's got many stories of people telling him about that. So that's, uh, that was very interesting. And this one occurred in 2011. So. So the city worker, uh, he knew that you were uh, investigating Sasquatch, so after yes. he, had, he contacted you after? Well, uh, his daughter knew about me quite, quite, quite a bit. He didn't really know that I was involved with it at the time. But his daughter said, you know, I'll contact him for you. <laughs> so it was very interesting, too, just that we explained that. Was he hesitant to talk to you? No, he was quite open, actually, uh, which is surprising because... In my opinion, there's only maybe 10 to 15 percent of the people that will talk about what the what the experience. They are quite reluctant. They really they they scared to be to be called a fool of being ridiculed, you know that kind of stuff. So not many people will talk about it. 
For this reason, the vast majority of stories Red included in his book are anonymous. He says people asked him not to mention their names, and he respected that. So let's go to the other side. So we'll go up the uh, Fish Lake. I'll follow you, I guess, yeah, up the Fish yeah. Lake Road. Yeah, exactly. A short distance. We're going to go that way. So. Okay, great. Good. It's a day fit to see a Sasquatch. Uh, rainy, windy. Uh, still early August, but the first hints of fall are around a slight yellowing of the foliage and, of course, the rain and cooler weather. Just turning off now onto the Fish Lake Road where I'll be following Red up the hill. Less than three minutes later, Red pulls off onto a gravel road next to a small lake. Okay, so uh, tell me about this uh, site we're at now. Okay, this site has two occurrences. One is a rock throwing incident, 500 meters that way, and we're going to walk around to there. And then there's a sighting of the same people, two people, two young fellows, one 17 years of age, the other one was uh, 15, his younger brother. And they had on the way to here, the sighting occurred just up here about, oh, 30 meters. So we'll walk there as well. Uh, now, we have to remember that uh, that occurred in 1974. At that time, the road wasn't there. The road came down through here. This is the road, the old road coming through here. So they would come here and park their car. Of course, the dam itself has been there for quite a while. It's good fishing in there. <laughs> so where where are we now? Can you just describe the physical well, this location? Is Pump House Lake, right over there. That lake was built, I believe, in the fifties. And there's a small power generating station just down the creek here. So they built the dam to have enough water to feed the power generating station. And that is actually fed by Fish Creek, which empties Fish Lake. She's further down up the road. And again, we're in within Whitehorse city limits. Uh, oh, about yeah. 10, 12 kilometers from town from, from this, uh, within the city limit, right, 12 kilometers from downtown almost. Okay, let's uh, check, check this spot out. Okay, so we we'll, can't run anymore. <laughs> we walk past a gate and follow a gravel path. So this is part of Fish Creek right here? That's correct, yes. And that's going to go to wine into McIntyre Creek. I've never been here before. Yeah. We're walking through, I guess, a typical boreal forest, spru- yeah. spruce and pine, oh, yeah. soapberry willow. <clears throat> Is this what you would call typical Sasquatch habitat? Uh, well, they're everywhere, basically. <laughs> everywhere and anywhere. They prefer the bush, of course, the forest. Uh, in some that I've investigated, they're, yeah, they're everywhere. There's always a bush area. It's not open ground. What do you think Sasquatch eat? They're omnivore. They'll eat anything, just like bears. Is a lot of the stories you hear here, are they consistent with stories across other parts of North America and British Columbia? Very much so, except for the height. It seems uh, they are taller and larger in size. Here? Yeah, here than, than uh, for example, BC. That's probably 
due to the cold factor where they acquire more calories and get slightly larger. Uh, and you said that one of the sightings from around here, the stories was from 1974, so people are coming to you years later to recount these stories. Oh yes, exactly, yeah. And that's quite common. Something that uh, hasn't left their mind, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Just about there. Okay, we'll take trail here. We leave the gravel path and follow a faint game trail above the lake. It's a bit bushy. I'll let you go first and knock all the water off the bushes. Yeah, right on. (laughs) After my breath here. Yeah. Not as young as I used to be. If I was to guess Red's age, I would put him in his low to mid-70s. Turns out he's turning 82 this fall. Although he appears in good health, I feel a bit bad for pestering him with questions all the way up the hill. Okay. Uh, So this occurred in June 1974, mid-June. These two fellas decided to go fishing in the lake. They came here around 7 p.m. We're going to get to this next Sasquatch story in a moment, but first, a bit more about Red. Um, I'd like to talk about you for a a few minutes. Can you uh, tell me just a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the Yukon? Well, I first came up here in 1980. I was a captain in the Kingston Army, and I was stationed here with, at the time, was the Northern Region Detachment White Horse. Uh, It's only four people. It was a major and myself. Uh, a sergeant and a master corporal at the time. That's all there was. And uh, I was mostly involved with cadets, liaison with different communities. So I was there for three years, traveled quite a bit around. And the family, my wife and three kids at the time, we decided that upon retirement, this would be the place. (laughs) So we came back in 1987 when I retired from Fund of Forces. And after we left here, I got posted in Montreal at the Army headquarters. And then I got posted to Israel Israel for a year with side trips to Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, all around the place. And then we actually we left from Damascus to Montreal to here. Quite the shift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite a change in weather as well. Time for a short break. We'll be right back. Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt? A toque? Mug? Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. And now, back to the episode. When did you start taking an interest in Sasquatch? It started in 1997. I, I love fly fishing. And I was out down on Tikini River, not far from Kusaba Lake. <laughs> Mosquito was bad. No, I'm <laughs> trying not to wipe this one off my nose. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, by Kusaba Lake um, and on, on the river and fishing grailings. And uh, well, I had a good time, caught quite a few fish, let them go. And then out in the bush, which was to my right at the time, maybe 100 feet away or so, about 30, 35 meters, I noticed something coming out the bush, back in the bush. We come out for a second, back in the bush. It was tall, covered with hair, 
And I said, what animal is that? What's I didn't know what it was. So anyway, they came out for, for about 10 minutes, this thing fooled around playing like peekaboo or something. So anyway, I mentioned that to one of my friends from Teslin, and she's a member of the uh, Klangit. Oh, she said, that's the wild man, that's a Sasquatch. Oh, okay. <laughs> so on that day on, I started reading about it. Uh, joined a bunch of clubs. I went out on outings with them in, in BC mostly, in Alberta as well. And yeah, this when I started getting interesting. And, and as I got interested, of course people noticed that and I was talking about it. And the word and mouth just went spread. And uh, starting in the 2005, 2006, a lot of people start, you know, telling me their stories. So that's how I got involved. Uh, you, I believe, have some Algonquin and, um, is it Huron heritage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up, were there stories about Sasquatch or, or the equivalent? No, not at all. I grew up in a place called New Glasgow, Quebec. That's about 35 miles north of Montreal in Laurentian Mountains. My grandmother was Algonquin and later found out she was mixed with Huron as well. She married... Uh, my paternal gra- grandfather, who was French. Your book is called uh, Nag- Nagani, is that Nagani. how you say it? Uh, Tales of the Northern Sasquatch. Nagani is a Dene name for Sasquatch. It, in, in the Dene we call Nagani or Gani, and words similar to that. So that's where it comes from. And of course, there's quite a few Denny people in the Yukon as well. Yeah, why did you choose that, uh, to use that indigenous uh, term? Well, it was actually in cooperation with uh, my editor, which is Raymond Yakaya. And he said, Sasquatch is well known. But he said, if we use Naganis, it will be for Northern Canada, which makes sense. Uh, that's why we see tales of the Norton Sasquatch. See, they explained it all, basically. Now we'll jump back to Red telling me about the Sasquatch sighting that happened here, around this lake. So this occurred in June 1974, mid-June. These two fellas decided to go fishing in the lake. They came here around 7 p.m. They walked down and by the tree down lake shore, which is about... 30 feet straight down almost, there was a raft. They made a homemade raft out of wood, trees actually. The, the Sasquatch? No, the two, the, bo- the, the, two, the, the, <laughs> okay, two, okay. the two young fellas. Sasquatch building a raft? Seriously? That's a bit embarrassing. And they usually would come here, often during the week, jump on the raft, go around, catch a few fish, come back to shore and go back home. So they came back, and as they were tying up the raft to the tree, something threw a rock over them. And uh, they, of course, never seen the rock, but they heard the plunk when it hit the water. So the older fella looked around, another rock came flying. This time he seen the rock, and he said it was probably six inches in diameter. And again, it went in the water. So he yelled up, 
uh, to, in words, uh, stuff fooling around. There's people fishing down here. Another rock came flying by. So then he said, he started, he was getting mad, he said. He started running up the hill. He ran up to the road, which was the same road. I said, there was nothing there. Nobody, not a single person in sight. But he said he could smell what he described as a wet grizzly. But could not see anything at all. So he yelled as his younger brother to come back up and said, we're going back to the car. So they, they started walking back to the car. Uh, and that was about 9 o'clock when they finally finished their fishing trip. Uh, of course, in June, it's still pretty light outside. So it was very visible around. And he kept looking. He never told his brother anything. He said, maybe there's a bear around. That's all he said. Uh, and he kept looking. And on his way from here to the car, he could see blurring movement in the bush. Far enough so he could not see clearly, but he could hear some walking in the bush. Of course, if you walk any forest with all the dead debris, the branches and dead leaves, it makes noise, a crumpling noise. And he could tell it was a two-legged something. Uh, so it never crossed his mind at the time it was a Sasquatch. That came later. Uh, so he made his way to the car, back to the car. They put a fishing gear in. They started the car, and as they started moving, then a Sasquatch came right across in front of the car. From uh, the, it will be the south side, no, the north side, to the south side of that the old road. And he said he could still see them quite clearly at that time. They, both of them, seen the Sasquatch. They say it was close to three meters tall, about nine feet or so. And it darted the road it, uh, in two steps. So I measure the width, it's 19 feet, uh, or six and a half meters, six meter in the touch. So to two steps with six meters in a meter, each step got to be around three meters long. So that means quite a tall entity. What did they describe in terms of the fur? It says it was quite clearly, it was dark brown. Uh, Sasquatch looked at them, but they were in a shock. They could not explain to me, or the fellow couldn't explain to me any facial uh, details at all. And all the way it, the, the hands was held up, but nothing of the sort. He said he didn't pay attention. It never crossed his mind, which is quite a human, normal human reaction. Now, who thinks of looking for <laughs> what color eyes you have? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So, and what did they do with this information for 40 years? He mentioned it to his parents, and basically they were told not to fool around. Stop fooling around. So they never told anyone else until this guy heard about me. He said, oh, I'm going to share my story now. <laughs> How was that for him to share a story? Was it sort of like a, like a relief for him? It would appear so, yes, indeed, yeah. Uh, he said, I, I was the first person he ever told a story to. And uh, we actually uh, met up at the, uh, the Fish Lake Road and, and Alaska Highway, the intersection. That's when we met up, and he took me here. 
He walked me here. At the time, I was able to get down without any problem. <laughs> now we need the elevator to come back up. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he was very relieved, and he said, now I can tell my story. So that's in the book. Let's go back for a moment to the, the rock throwing. I've read in other books that that's uh, thought to be a Sasquatch behavior. Yes, probably to tell them to go away. Don't come back here. That's my spot. Uh, there's a number of reports of the sort that I have. Uh, one took place uh, on the Alaska Highway, actually, probably 100 kilometers this side of Beaver Creek, where a, uh, a couple from Oregon were, tra- were moved in into this um, side road parking area planning to spend the night there. And they were there for maybe half an hour and then rocks started being thrown, not at them, but at the creek that was close by to them. So they moved away. Uh, Another one that I know of uh, took place on Magundi River, which is uh, beside the Robert Campbell Highway. Uh, This couple, a First Nation couple from Ross River, Actually, the guy was about 30 years old. His wife was about 27. And she's the one that told me the story, actually, a number of years ago. Anyway, they were checking out their trap line. And they came around, and uh, there was a canyon, or a very close wall, uh, where the river goes in between. So they were, of course, it was a winter, the snow machine. But as they approached, then there were noise, a lot of screaming and yelling there were dead trees being thrown at them of course they turned around and (laughs) forgot about their traps on the other side actually they they never went back there at all they picked up their trap traps on the way back back to feral and that was the end of it said we're not going there anymore so yeah there's been a few times where there was stuff thrown and all i can uh result of my investigation will indicate they're probably um, probably protecting an area. It's telling whomever, do not approach it. It's my place. Go away. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your investigation, uh, especially um, people know you now as someone who investigates Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. So if you get a call of a, of a recent sighting and you come out to a site, uh, what are you looking for? Well, first of all, if the person... Uh, explains to me, usually coming to the site, they'll point everything to me. Then I see if that makes sense or not. Then I ask tons of questions, a lot of detail, trying to get as much as possible. And mostly to figure out if the person is fibbing me or telling the truth. And that is the main part. From there, I try to get details to figure out the height, the weight perhaps, uh, the steps. Uh, that kind of stuff, and look for signs. If it is, you know, fairly recent, there may be signs on the trees. Who knows? So yeah, what what kind of signs have you seen? Uh, broken branches, broken uh, major bro- tree being broken up, um, obstruction on the trails. Sometimes they will put a bunch of trees, normally in an X X fashion, like trying, trying to block it off. Exactly. Yeah. It's basically to keep other peoples away because, in my opinion, they're quite territorial. 
and they would be in the family group, of course. It you know there has to be some way to 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 have more Sasquatch. Obviously, they're not alone. So. A lot of stories of, I guess, uh, protecting territory. Any stories of people being physically harmed here in the territory? Not that I know of. Usually, I believe that people are smart enough not to push their limits. And usually, when it happens, they just simply go away. So, no, I don't know anything, anyone being harmed at all. Now, there's stories in the States. If they're true or not, I don't know. So, that's, you know, sometimes some stuff has got to be taken a grain of salt. Because people have a tendency sometimes to uh, inflate their story. (laughs) Do you feel like you get many jokesters or people kind of trying to tell you a tale? There's been a few. Usually after a couple of questions, they they stumble across what they've done or say something totally different so I know immediately that that's it. You're applying some scrutiny to these stories. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw a photo. You have a, a a footprint mold. Can you tell me about that? Actually, that comes from Norton, BC. I was out uh, around Prince George. There's a lake called Norman Lake, and I was there with a friend from Prince George, and he was taking me around, and we uh, noticed a couple of footprints, and we took a cast of that one. So that's where that one come. In the Yukon, I've got absolutely nothing from here yet. What would a Sasquatch footprint look like? It's almost like human footprint, except much larger. It's uh, mostly flat, flat-footed as compared to us. Uh, so one, that's one of the main aspect. And of course, much larger. We're looking at uh, the one I've got at home. It's 16 and three-quarter inches. So that's quite long. And that'd be about the average from for the north, roughly. So. so I guess it's one thing to have a, a Sasquatch sighting, and it's quite another thing to spend, I guess it's been 25 years that you've been kind of yeah, investigating well, yeah. this. So wh- why? Why do you do it? Oh, well, I'm interested. <laughs> you know, it keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Something to do. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm involved with, you know, quite a few organizations, the Legion, Fear me, heritage housing, Yukon Heritage Board, <laughs> you know, the old age uh, society and so on and so forth. Uh, but then this keeps me more interested than, of course, I, I like to write, so that fits in. Is it is it partly like the mystery or the fact that there's so many questions that intrigues you? There's still many unknown factors, a lot of questions. Uh, for example, where did they disappear? Where did they go? Uh, some of the stuff is, uh, uh, for example, at some places there's been smoke coming out of caves where we know there's no nobody around there. So where is that smoke from? Is it a Sasquatch that use fire that we don't know about? You know, there's many, many questions. Uh, uh, and I, it's probably going to be a while before anybody knows answers to all that stuff. One thing I would like, though, is to have some uh, interested party that are uh, well-educated in the field, uh, some scientists that have the funding from university and what have you to do a real good research, uh, more involved that I can't afford. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, there's there's people who believe, and there's a lot of people who don't, or 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 whatnot. But I guess how do you how do you deal with like? Do you get any I guess pushback or negative reactions from people about your work? Some do, yeah. Some big fear I'm a fool, but I couldn't care less. <laughs> I'm not trying to convince anyone. It's the last thing in my mind that's trying to convince people. I'm not a politician in that way. <laughs> no, I just don't try to convince people. If they want to believe it, it's fair. If not, it's also fair. So I guess what are you trying to do uh, with your book? Trying to convince more people were convinced now to open up to tell their story. To give them that little push perhaps to come up and tell me what you've seen. <laughs> you know, basically that's the objective at all. So not to convince the non-believers, but to encourage people who've maybe had a sighting or experience to come forward and exactly. share their story. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, yeah. How many stories have you gathered? Well, the book itself has 80 reports and another 35 stories. Difference being a report I investigated. I've been in location, or I know where the location is. I've talked with people that have been there. I did measurements and all that good stuff. That's, I did an investigation to the best of my ability. As stories, it's what people told me, but I did not investigate. So there's about 35 stories um, that are very, uh, very uh, blurry in the sense that, yeah, my father, my grandfather, blah, 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 you know, has a sighting here and there. Okay, and that's basically that's all. You know, mind you, some of those stories are quite interesting. Is there a lot of stories that are sort of easily explained? Like, uh, you know, yeah, like it smells like a grizzly bear or it broke branches. Like it could be a grizzly bear or, or another large animal, moose. Usually, if there's any stories that or reports of the investigator, then I, I'm able to show that they, it wasn't a Sasquatch, but was something else. Bear, moose, whatever. Those are not in the book. About how many of, I guess, the reports uh, involve sightings as opposed to um, sounds or, or uh, like rock throwing and stuff? The, what I've got in the book, about three quarters, actually 35 are sighting reports out of 70. That's half of them. The rest are footsteps, footprints, Sounds, yelling, or animal reaction. Dogs, for example, pet. People tear their dogs in the bush, and the dog gets scared. I mean, really scared. And we know that's not a bear, that's not a moose, something, something else. And chances are uh, that's a Sasquatch. Uh, and there's, I've got quite a few of those stories. Uh, wh- what sound uh, does a Sasquatch make? There's a quite a large variety, actually, quite a large, from whistles to whimpering to cries, loud screams. It varies quite a bit. And uh, we, uh, a bunch of my friends from the Legion, I usually go fishing, fishing trips somewhere. Usually Tessin Lake, Kusawa, Atlant, somewhere. And many times during the night, we would hear trees being banged together and low either whistles 
or a sound where communication of things. So that's some of the stuff people hear. Some others are quite loud, uh, as if uh, as if calling for something. So there, there's quite a variety of quite a range of sounds. Can you imitate any of them? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, I guess uh, you've got a, a book coming up, um, coming out shortly. Uh, what's next for you? Are you are you gonna keep on doing doing oh, yes. the work? I'm, I'm working on volume number two already. So, uh, and I expect a lot of people will get in touch with me. I have one more question. This one comes from Wasn't Wayne. Me, I didn't do it. Sorry? <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> Wayne Potaroka, who wrote uh, about you, uh, he said you got married in the last few years. He said he was curious uh, when when your future wife uh, learned about your hobby and what she thought about it. <laughs> she knew about that before we got married. Good. She's a good supporter, by the way. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for bringing me out here and uh, telling me about Sasquatch. Good. My pleasure. Nagane, Tales of Northern Sasquatch, is published by Dervile and Uproot. It's due for release October 1st. The following day, there's a book launch in Whitehorse at the Legion. Oh, and have a Sasquatch sighting to report? Red's your guy. You can hunt him down at sasquatchyukon at hotmail.com. That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Please share this episode and leave us a review. It really helps. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. And for a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street, across from City Hall. There's a great selection of clothing, hats, stickers, glassware, and more. Do you have something to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at North of Ordinary. You can also contact me, Karen McCall, with feedback or story ideas. Editor at northofordinary.com is my email. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Our podcast artwork is by art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Head Candy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We have another episode coming out soon. I hope you listen in. Music